Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, poet Catherine Barnett reads from a selection of poems and prose concerning time, including from Gwendolyn Brooks, Ian Lee, Claudia Rankin, Philip Larkin, and more. To learn more about Barnett's choices, check out the episode description. And now, read by Catherine Barnett. This is Catherine Barnett reading On the Specious Present and the So-Called Obvious Past, a collection of poems and brief prose excerpts. Days by Philip Larkin. What are days for? Days are where we live. They come, they wake us, time and time over. They are to be happy in. Where can we live but days? Ah, solving that question brings the priest and the doctor in their long coats, running over the fields. This is from the opening of Samuel Beckett's Texts for Nothing, number three. Leave. I was going to say, leave all that. What matter who's speaking? Someone said, what matter who's speaking? There's going to be a departure. I'll be there. I won't miss it. It won't be me. I'll be here. I'll say I'm far from here. It won't be me. I won't say anything. There's going to be a story. Someone's going to try and tell a story. Yes, no more denials. All is false. There is no one. It's understood. There is nothing. No more phrases. Let us be dupes. Dupes of every time and tense. Until it's done. All past and done. And the voices cease. It's only voices. Only lies. Here. Depart from here and go elsewhere, or stay here, but coming and going. Start by stirring. There must be a body, as of old. I don't deny it. No more denial. I'll say I'm a body, stirring back and forth, up and down, as required, with a clutter of limbs and organ, all that is needed to live again, to hold out a little time. I'll call that living. I'll say it's me. I'll get standing, I'll stop thinking, I'll be too busy, getting standing, staying standing, stirring about, holding out, getting to tomorrow, tomorrow week, that will be ample, a week will be ample, a week in spring, that puts the jizz in you, it's enough to will it, will me a body, will me a head, a little strength, a little courage, I'm starting now, a week is soon served, Then back here, this inextricable place, far from the days, the far days. It's not going to be easy. And why, come to think, no, no, leave it, no more of that. Don't listen to it all. Don't say it all. It's all old, all one, once and for all. This is a poem from Dominique Bouchard's One Dog Town, a 2019 collection. The poem is called Half a Party. It has an epigraph from Bruce Springsteen. Without you, I'm half a party in a one dog town. It's tremendously late. The trees bombard the dark. I catch a light simply to make sure we're not in the company of wolves or in sight of the oratory. Trilliums at the gate 
organ prescribing the pace by which everything is revealed and absconds. In a few hours, I will leave this town, testimony to my abundant mistaken hopes, a rinsed year. In a few hours, winter will pass over the factories. The pedestrians will tread carefully, achingly, around the ferruginous moths. And I will work at forswearing what I have too deeply loved. Ah, to be done with the afterwards. Months of all evening and no day. Of willing you in a place beyond the mind. This is An Aspect of Love, Alive in the Ice and Fire, by Gwendolyn Brooks. In a package of minutes, there is this we. How beautiful. Merry foreigners in our mourning. We laugh. We touch each other. Our responsible props and posts. A physical light is in the room. Because the world is at the window, we cannot wonder very long. You rise. Although genial, you are in yourself again. I observe your direct and respectable stride. You are direct and self-accepting as a lion in African velvet. You are level, lean, remote. There is a moment in camaraderie when interruption is not to be understood. I cannot bear an interruption. This is the shining joy the time of not to end. On the street we smile. We go in different directions, down the imperturbable street. This is Guillaume Apollinaire's There Is, translated by Michael Benedict from the French. There is this ship which has taken my beloved back again. There are six Zeppelin sausages in the sky, and with night coming on, it makes a man think of the maggots from which the stars might someday be reborn. There is this enemy submarine slipping up beneath my love. There are one thousand young pine trees splintered by the bursting of the same shells falling around me now. There is this infantryman walking by, completely blinded by poison gas. There is the obvious fact that all that is happening here was hatched a long time ago in the intestinal trenches of Nietzsche, Goethe, and the metaphysicians of the town of Cologne. There is the obvious fact that I'm dying over a letter which has thus far been delayed. There are in my wallet various photos of my beloved. There are prisoners marching past with anxious faces. There is this artillery battery with its faithful servants hurrying among the guns. There is the postmaster arriving at a trot on the road beneath the single tree in silhouette. There is, according to rumor, a spy who infiltrates somewhere near here, invisible as the horizon, as the horizon blue French uniform he has assumed for offensive purposes, and in which he is now most effectively camouflaged. There is erect as any lily the bosom of my beloved. There is this captain anxiously awaiting the latest radio dispatch to reach us via transatlantic cable. There are at midnight these details of soldiers sawing planks for coffins. 
There are women somewhere in Mexico pleading with wild cries for more Indian corn and maize. There is this Gulf Stream which is so warm and beneficial. There is this cemetery covered with crosses only five kilometers away. There are all these crosses everywhere, this way, that way. There are paradisial persimmons growing on cactus trees in Algeria. There are the long hands of my love. There is this inkwell which I've made from a 150-millimeter shell I saved from shooting. There is my cavalry saddle left out in the rain. There are all these rivers blasted off their courses, which will never go back to their banks. There is the God of love who leads me on so sweetly. There is this German prisoner carrying his machine gun across his shoulders. There are men on earth who've never fought in the war. There are Hindus here who look with astonishment on the Occidental style of campaign. They meditate gravely upon those who've left this place, wondering whether they'll ever see them again, knowing as they do what great progress we've made during this particular war in the art of invisibility. This poem is called Weather by Claudia Rankin. On a scrap of paper in the archive is written, I have forgotten my umbrella. Turns out in a pandemic, everyone, not just the philosopher, is without. We scramble in the drought of information held back by inside traders. Drop by drop. Face covering? No. Yes. Social distancing? Six feet under for underlying conditions. Black. Just us and the blues kneeling on a neck with the full weight of a man in blue. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. In extremis, I can't breathe gives way to asphyxiation, to giving up this world. And then mama, called to. A call to protest, fire, glass, say their names, say their names. White silence equals violence. The violence of again. A militarized police force tear gassing, bullets ricochet, and civil unrest taking it, burning it down. Whatever contracts keep us social compel us now to disorder the disorder. Peace. We're out to repair the future. There's an umbrella by the door, not for yesterday, but for the weather that's here. I say weather but I mean a form of governing that deals out death and names it living. I say weather, but I mean a November that won't be held off. This time, nothing, no one forgotten. We are here for the storm that's storming, because what's taken matters. This is the last paragraph of John Berger's essay on the photographer Paul Strand from 1972. This is more complicated than it may seem. The present tense of the verb to be refers only to the present, but nevertheless, with the first person singular in front of it, it absorbs the past, which is inseparable from the pronoun. I am includes all that has made me so. It is more than a statement of immediate fact. It is already an explanation, a justification, a demand. It is already autobiographical. 
Strand's photographs suggest his sitters trust him to see their life story. And it is for this reason that, although the portraits are formal and posed, there is no need, either on the part of the photographer or photograph, for the disguise of a borrowed role. Photography, because it preserves the appearance of an event or a person, has always been closely associated with the idea of the historical. The ideal of photography, aesthetics apart, is to seize an historic moment. But Paul Strand's relation as a photographer to the historic is a unique one. His photographs convey a unique sense of duration. The I am is given its time in which to reflect on the past and to anticipate its future. The exposure time does no violence to the time of the I am. On the contrary, one has the strange impression that the exposure time is the lifetime. This is the poem On, On, Stop, Stop, written by Saskia Hamilton from her collection Corridor. In the old recording of the birthday party, the voices of the living and the dead instruct 12 absent friends on the reliable luxury of gratitude. The celebrated one hands out presents. The dead dog barks once. We take one another's hands and follow their lead, past the garden wall, out to the land still stripped by winter. Those gone do not usurp those here. We keep the warning close, the timbre of their voices mingling with the sounds of traffic going much faster to its destinations. Is it the size or the scale of the past on the small reels of the cassette? Someone gives her a new pot, which, she exclaims, is too great a luxury for her. Someone's missing who can convert the currencies. The old treasure was dropped in the furrows to await spring, with rings and pennies and florins and other denominations from those pockets and fingers. This is the Polish poet Wieslawa Zimborska's poem called May 16th, 1973, one of those many dates that no longer ring a bell. Where I was going that day, what I was doing, I don't know. Whom I met, what we talked about, I can't recall. If a crime had been committed nearby, I wouldn't have had an alibi. The sun flared and died beyond my horizons. The earth rotated unnoted in my notebooks. I'd rather think that I'd temporarily died than that I kept on living and can't remember a thing. I wasn't a ghost, after all. I breathed, I ate, I walked. My steps were audible. My fingers surely left their prints on doorknobs. Mirrors caught my reflection. I wore something or other in such and such a color. Somebody must have seen me. Maybe I found something that day that had been lost. Maybe I lost something that turned up later. I was filled with feelings and sensations. Now all that's like a line of dots in parentheses. Where was I hiding out? Where did I bury myself? Not a bad trick 
to vanish before my own eyes. I shake my memory. Maybe something in its branches that has been asleep for years will start up with a flutter. No, clearly I'm asking too much. Nothing less than one whole second. I'll be reading four sections from the title essay of Yi Yun Lee's book of essays, Dear Friend, From My Life I Write to You in Your Life. Six, there are five time zones in China, but the nation uses a unified time, Beijing time. When the hour turns, all radio stations sound six beeps, followed by a solemn announcement. Quote, at the last beep, it is Beijing time, seven o'clock sharp. Close quote. This memory is reliable because it does not belong to me, but to generations of Chinese people, millions of us. Every hour, the beeping and the announcement were amplified through loudspeakers in every people's commune, school, army camp, and apartment complex. But underneath this steadfastness, time is both intrusive and elusive. It does not leave us alone even in our most private moments. In every thought and feeling about life, time claims a space. When we speak of indecision, we are unwilling to let go of a present. When we speak of moving on, what a triumphant phrase, we are cutting off the past. And if one seeks kindness from time, it slips away tauntingly, or worse, with indifference. How many among us have said that to others or to ourselves? If only I had a bit more time. 7. One hides something for two reasons. Either one feels protective of it or one feels ashamed of it. And it is not always the case that the two possibilities can be separated. If my relationship with time is difficult, if time is intrusive and elusive, could it be that I am only hiding myself from time? I used to write from midnight to four o'clock. I had young children then, various jobs, from working with mice to working with cadaver tissue to teaching writing, and an ambition to keep writing separate from my life. When most people were being ferried across the night by sleep, unaware of time, unaware of weather, I felt the luxury of living on the cusp of reality. Night, for those sound sleepers, was a cocoon against time. For me, I wanted to believe it was even better. Time at night was my possession, not the other way around. 22. For a while, I read Catherine Mansfield's notebooks to distract myself. Dear friend, from my life, I write to you in your life, she wrote in an entry. I cried when I read the line. It reminds me of the boy from years ago who could not stop sending the designs of his dreams in his letters. It reminds me, too, why I do not want to stop writing. The books one writes, past and present and future, are they not trying to say the same thing? Dear friend, from my life I write to you in your life. What a long way it is from one life to another. Yet why write if not for that distance, if things can be let go? every before replaced by an after. 24. The train stopped. 
When a train stops in the open country between two stations, it is impossible not to put one's head out of the window and see what's up, Mansfield wrote at the end of her life. This is the inevitability of life. The train, for reasons unknown to us, always stops between a past and a future, both making this now look as though it is nowhere. But it is this nowhereness that one has to make use of. One looks out the window. The rice paddies and alfalfa fields have long been passed, replaced by vineyards and almond groves. One has made it this far. Perhaps this is enough of a reason to journey on. This is Jean Valentine's poem, For Love. For love, you leapt sometimes. You walked away sometimes. That time on the phone, you couldn't get your breath. I leapt, but couldn't get to you. I caught the brow that bid the dead. I caught the bow that hid. I'm, you know, still here. Tulip. Resin. Temporary. This is The Galleons 4 by Rick Barrett. Because I am reading Frank O'Hara while sitting on a bench at the Brooklyn Promenade, I am aware it is 10.30 in New York on a Tuesday morning, the way O'Hara was always aware of what day and hour and season were in front of him. It is 12.20 in New York, a Friday, he wrote almost 60 years ago on a July moment. It must have been like the one I am having now, the summer hour blossoming, as the promenades by the rivers and in the parks and in the quiet aisles of the city when everyone who should be at work is at work, and the trees are meditating on how muggy it will be today and the fleets of strollers are out in the sunshine expanse of the morning, the strollers that are like galleons, carrying their beautiful gold cargo, being pushed by women whose names once graced the actual galleons, Rosario, Margarita, Magdalena, along with other names, Essie, Maya, from places that history has patronized, like O'Hara going into the bank for money, with a bookstore, to buy an ugly New World writing to see what the poets in Ghana are doing these days, or the liquor store for liquor, or the tobacconist for tobacco. And sitting at the Brooklyn Promenade, I haven't looked at the news to see who now has died, though my fingers keep touching the phone's face to find out that when it is 10.30 in the morning in New York, it is 11.30 in the night in Manila, and it is 4.30 in the afternoon in Lagos and in Warsaw, and it is 9.30 in the morning in Guatemala City, where it is also Tuesday, and where it is also summer. This is Ellen Bryant Voigt's poem, Storm. One minute a slender pine, indistinguishable from the others. The next its trunk 
horizontal, still green, the jagged stump, a nest for the flickers. One minute high wind and rain, the skies lit up, the next a few bright winking stars, the lashing of the brook. One minute an exaltation in the apple trees, the shadblow trees, the next white trash on the ground, new birds, or the same birds crowding the feeder. One minute the children were sleeping in their beds. You got sick, you got well, you got sick. The lilac bush we planted is a tree the cat creeps past with something in her mouth. She's hurrying down to where the culvert overflowed. One minute bright yellow marsh marigolds springing up. The next, the farmer sweeps them into his bales of hay. This is Paul Ceylon's poem, So Many Constellations, translated by Michael Hamburger. So many constellations that are held out to us. I was when I looked at you. When? Outside by the other worlds. Oh, these ways, galactic. Oh, this hour that weighed nights over for us into the burden of our names. It is, I know, not true that we lived, there moved, blindly, no more than a breath between there and not there. And at times our eyes whirred, comet-like toward things extinguished, in chasms. And where they had burnt out, splendid with teats, stood time, on which already grew up and down and away all that is or was or will be. I know, I know and you know, we knew, we did not know. We were there after all and not there. And at times when only the void stood between us, we got all the way to each other. Nine Two Wise Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redbye.